sister Know the water's sweet But blood is thicker Oh, with the sky Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood Brothers don't shake hands Brothers gotta hug I'm Tony And I'm Jesse Brother? I'm gonna have a brother? I've always dreamed about having a brother If you'd like to join our brotherhood You can join our Facebook group you can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Tony, what's going on? Not much, not much. Just uh, trying to survive up here in the snowy north. Oh my gosh, I've been looking at the weather reports and it looks like you guys are just getting absolutely crushed this week with snow. Yeah, it's really deceptive because it's like really fine powdery snow. So you look outside, you're like, oh, it's not so bad. And then you like step outside and disappear into a snowdrift. It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> intense out there. Yeah, that sounds intense. That's like Star Wars. Like what's the planet with the snow? Hoth. See, I, this is where your expertise comes to bear in really excellently. We need to get Conrad so, on here to, to educate you. I know, seriously. I need to like, so that here's one of the things I was thinking about doing recently. You can probably shed some light on this and it has nothing to do with our topic for this evening. It's fine. But it, I'm thinking about, aren't there like a series of like actual legit Star Wars books? Oh, this is a really complicated question. <laughs> so yes and no, they were uh, legit and then they became delegitimized. So um, after the Star Wars movies came out before the terrible prequel trilogies, there was actually like a whole bunch of Star Wars novels um, that were actually pretty – most of them were pretty good. And um, after um, after Marvel – not Marvel. After Disney, who also owns Marvel, but after Disney bought – the rights to Star Wars and started uh, getting ready for episode seven. They said that other than the movies and a few like select cartoons, um, none of that was legitimate canon. So the expanded what? universe basically got erased and it's not, it's not actually part of it. And the reason is because they wanted to go one direction. Um, so a lot of these stories, these novels happened after, um, after episode six, and so they wanted to go a different direction, but in order to do that, they would have had to jump like hundreds of years in the future, or they would have had to make a movie based on one of these novels. So they just said none of those novels count. Like novels, there was a series of comics that don't count. Now there's Marvel is making Star Wars comics that do count. So it's really, it's a much more complicated question than you probably wanted to, to have asked. I had no idea. Wait, so you telling me, like, is there a, a Josh McDowell who's writing, like, a book about the Star Wars canon? Yeah, like, there could be. For... There could be. A case for the a case for the Star Wars canon? Yeah. Where is Lee Strobel on this? I don't know. This is also, like, know. the second or third time we mentioned Lee Strobel on this cast. So where is Lee Strobel on our cast? I don't know. I don't know. He's probably off doing something significant. I'm still I'm still waiting for his case for queso book that you've The case inspired. for queso, Yes. So what's your least favorite thing about snow? Um, you know, I don't mind snow. I, I don't like cold. So the problem with snow is that it comes with cold. Um, lately, my least favorite thing is that uh, we drive a 2015 Ford Fiesta that weighs about six and a half pounds. So anytime there is any snow on the ground, we are just it's it's all over. I We're 99 percent sure that we're not going to be able to go to work tomorrow because we're not going to be able to get out of our, our driveway. 
So the car has been a struggle this winter. But you're also like, so that people can compare your situation to maybe their environment. You're also talking about like 20 inches of snow. Yeah. Yeah. The projection, uh, they've backed off a little bit on it, but the projection is like 15 or 16 inches of snow. And um, the guy who plows the the lot that we have uh, probably isn't going to come until after we would be leaving for work. So we would be trying to back out of like a foot and a half to two feet of snow, which just isn't going to happen. And that's particularly hilarious to me, given that you drive a car whose uh, name is Party in another language. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. That is a great car. I like the car. I mean, it's tiny, it's, but it's a good car. It takes care of us. It's just you have to be cautious when it's snowy. Yeah, we have a small car like that as well. And it's the thing is awesome. It's like a little go-kart. Yep. It's, it's great in the snow if you can like get it out of the snow. Yeah. Yeah, it gets like 95 miles to the gallon too, which is excellent. <laughs> it's basically like a motorcycle. We've had it for like a year wheels. and a half. We filled up the tank once. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be outstanding. And that includes a trip to Pennsylvania and back. So it's pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, it's like the oil from the Hanukkah menorah is in our car. Oh my, it's like Elijah style. Exactly. That would be, yeah, where would like, so I'm just filled with random questions tonight. How about this question? If that miracle were going to take place in a modern context, what would it be? Like, what would the elements of that miracle be? The Elijah one? Yeah. You mean instead of like flour and oil? Yeah. Well, in a snowstorm, it would be milk and eggs and bread. <laughs> It'd be the miracle of French toast. <laughs> just just like they're just coming straight out of like the skillet. Like exactly. you just turn around and there's like more French toast in yeah. there and you're like, oh, I'll just take them off. Yeah. But then it'd be like one of those miracles that turns on you. And before you know it, you're like drowning in French toast. You can't keep up. Man, that's a twist in this story I did not see coming, actually. Yeah. That's like a horrible way to suffer. Like, you're just inhaling cinnamon off the French toast as you're being buried and trying to... It'd be bad. To the top. It'd be really bad. We could we could play an epic game of Would You Rather here, but we don't want to steal the Reform Pubcast's uh, thunder on that. Yeah, that, that's a good call. It could be but like, something. would you rather have unlimited uh, French toast and not be able to breathe, or would you rather have a <laughs> roller skate that you have to drive around in the snow? <laughs> It's terrible. It's terrible. Would you rather? I love that we weren't going to get into it, but we almost, we just came yeah. so dangerously close. That's what we it's like true. to do in this podcast. Go right up to the line and then come back. <laughs> yeah. We're Speak. real, we're real edgy on this podcast. <laughs> we, are so, we are so edgy right now. We're on the bleeding edge. Oh man. So speaking of going up to lines and then maybe coming back from them, what I was thinking we could talk about tonight is something that's been on my mind a little bit recently. And that is church membership. Yes. Um, yeah, I thought that might be something interesting to talk a little bit about what church membership is. Is it something that's biblical? And the reason it's on my mind is because I know a lot of people that are genuinely curious about what church membership means. And some people are curious about it in a very, um, in the sense that they want to understand a little bit more about how the church functions, how the, what role they should play in the church. I think some people are suspicious of church membership because it seems like that's something like you you do with your bank or Costco. Right. And like as if I become a member of the church, like they just start automatically taking my tithe out of my bank account, like directly. So there's like some real interest in what it means. And there's also, I think, a lot of like suspicion about what does it entail? And do I really need to become a member if I can just be a part of the body of Christ by coming and serving? So I figured let's get into it. Let's talk about church membership. Sure. Well, um, I think... You know, it is a it is a topic that I think in our context as maybe not so much as reformed Christians, I think that this is probably more of a question for broader evangelicalism. 
um, than it is for kind of the more narrow reformed people that probably listen to our show. But I know that um, I get a lot of questions in different groups that I'm on Facebook, you know, where I'm interacting with people in kind of the broader Christian world. And I think you're right that there is a little bit of a suspicion. And I think the reason the suspicion is there is because there's not one clear text in the scripture that says, you know, thou shalt be a member of a church. Or something like that. Um, it's kind of a deductive argument or deductive um, reasoning that we have to apply to the scriptures in order to really understand that principle, right? It's not there's not an explicit teaching. Does that does that sound fair? You think that that oh, maybe has something to do with true. it? No, that's absolutely true. And and if you were to take like a if we had more time, we could do kind of like a really broad survey of uh, the full counsel of God. We would see that like the word member is being used in different contexts to kind of build this cohesive understanding, this kind of grand arc about what it means to be part of the family of God. So there is real meat within the scriptures, real direction on this particular issue, but sometimes it's not articulated well. And sometimes even depending on what kind of church you go to, either the denomination or that actual local church itself may have like a different emphasis on how important it is to become a member. And some are have a little bit stronger persuasion one way or the other. I mean, what has been your experience with membership and going to church? Yeah, well, I mean, I've mentioned before that I I was confirmed in a Lutheran church when I was a teenager. And in the Lutheran church, um, when you become confirmed, you automatically become a member. So, um, you know, a lot of places do like membership courses, but in in Lutheran denominations, at least in the church that I was in, and I would imagine most, um, that confirmation process takes the place of a membership class. And so when you're confirmed, you just kind of become a member. Um, and that included things like voting privileges. You know, I was like 16 years old and all of a sudden I could vote in, in matters of church government and things like that um, before I could vote in in government government. So there's that. Um, but then also um, I was part of a church plant and we didn't actually, we weren't allowed to have formal membership for the first um, three years of being a church plant. Um, which was also a little bit strange. You know, you were, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but there was some sort of formal relationship you had, but because the church didn't have a constitution, it didn't have a um, specific roles and things like that for members. It didn't, without a constitution, there was no way to have um, formal expectations or formal obligations for members. So we didn't have members per se. And it was I think maybe like a couple months before I left to go to seminary, um, that church became a full-fledged, uh, particularized um, congregation and had membership. So I was a member for like two months before I left, I think. Um, and then I um, I didn't have membership in a church while I was in seminary um, for a whole whole host of reasons. Um, had a, Were I to be able to go back and do it again, I, I would have chosen to do things differently. But um, I didn't establish membership in a congregation um, until after Ashley and I were married. Um, and then I was a member of a local Baptist church. So membership has always been one of those things for me that I've always kind of recognized the importance. Um, and, and as I grew more and more in my understanding of the scripture and in kind of the nature of the church, the level of importance of membership increased in my mind um, to the point now that I would never even consider being a, a part of a church long term without uh, being a member, I probably wouldn't even want to drop my membership at the current church I'm at until I was basically established as a member at a new church. I would want to tr- kind of transfer membership. Um, and different denominations have different processes 
Some are more formal. Some are less, you know, less formal. Some don't have any process for transferring membership. Um, and then I'm a, you know, I'm a member here um, at the church in New Hampshire. So yeah, membership. Membership's a good thing. It is. It is a good thing. And that's been my experience as well. I've grown to appreciate it the older I've become. But I would say my experience is unique somewhat in that having grown up in the church as a child of a serving pastor, I always had the sense that it was out there and it was important. And I don't know that we ever had really um, a detailed conversations about the biblical support, but it just seemed to make sense in that my parents demonstrated that we were saved to be part of a community. And so that community demanded, just like a family, a certain identity, a certain step forward of faith, kind of raising the flag saying, yes, I'm committed to this group, this local body. And yes, I want to live it out with other people. So I always had this weird sense, you know, like when you have people over into your home and you share a meal with them, you know, like the guests after the meal get to go and hang out in the living room and, and sip on coffee. But the family is the one that's responsible for clearing the table and doing the dishes. And that was kind of this juxtaposition in my mind always of what it meant to be just merely attending, especially like long-term, like we're talking about where you're part of a community and in some way, like you're consuming the the spiritual resources of that community. And so there was always this really firm importance in my mind that was demonstrated to me by my parents that you need to commit to that family, that you were in it with them, that God had placed you there purposefully, and that you're willing to say like, I'm going to get up and help clear the table. And I'm going to do that by saying, yeah, I want to be a member. I want to be expressly part of this community and I want that to be made known so I can be held accountable and so that I can move forward in process of sanctification and discipleship. So that was always really important. So I'm curious, Tony, like with your experience, where you've been, where where you've kind of grown in terms of this idea of membership, what do you feel are like kind of these strong biblical underpinnings for this? Like a lot of times I think the question is, is church membership a biblical practice or is it merely some kind of human invention? Yeah, so I think we can start broad and kind of narrow in a little bit. So um, kind of the most, I want to say like intuitive texts that I've always come across are the different metaphors that Paul uses. And I think they're stronger than metaphors, but I don't really know what the next step up is in terms of um, something being stronger than a metaphor, but not being completely 100% literal. Um, And so you have the metaphor that or the analogy that Paul uses of a body and a family. So there's the family of believers, right? We talk about that in Galatians, you know, do do good to all people, but especially to the family of believers. So there's this specific group of people. And in, in context, Paul is writing to a specific group of people. So right there, we know, you know, the fact that Paul is writing to established congregations and he knows who's a part of those congregations right there is kind of a, a basic structure of membership to start with. But when you think about uh, like a body if I, this is going to sound crude, but if I were to find somebody's hand that had been severed from their body on the side of the road and I just kind of like stuck it on my arm and just like let it sit there, that's not a part of my body. There's no formal connection. There's no solid connection between that hand. The hand can be removed, you know, whatever. And a, a person who is kind of just attending a local congregation and is not establishing membership is really a lot like a random body part that's just kind of just kind of hanging out. Um, you know, it's not integrated with the body. It doesn't move with the body intuitively. It doesn't, it's not connected to the lifeblood of the body. It doesn't feel the same things that the body does. Um, so there's that analogy, like a body is an integrated whole. You can't just 
take parts of the body away on a whim. You know, the, the, the leg cannot just wander off because it feels like it or because it wants to go to a different body for a little while. The other analogy, of course, is the family, which you're kind of talking about, is that um, when you're a part of a family, you don't really get to choose to not be a part of that family. Even if you even if you try to separate yourself from that that family, you're still a part of that family. Um, no matter mm-hmm. how hard you want to deny it or you want to act like it's not true, um, there's a an organic, um, real connection that can't be easily severed. Right when we talk about. Um, you know, like divorce, you can't just say, I don't want to be married anymore. It's a whole ordeal with as, um, as easy as our culture makes it to get a divorce. It's still relatively difficult of a thing to do. And there's all sorts of procedures that have to happen. There's paper that needs to be drawn up. Lawyers have to be consulted. Um, and then even still, your lives are still united to each other in a lot of ways that you can't just easily sever. So those two metaphors, analogies, whatever we want to call them, I think really um, go a long way to establish that a local congregation is a unit that is not simply a loose association of people. Um, you know, when, when Paul is talking about every person in the church serves a function— I don't think he's talking about the universal church. It's true that right. every person in the universal spiritual church serves a function, but my particular giftings um, and skills, the the, the um, abilities and desires and things that God has uniquely created me to have, they don't really, in most cases, affect um, the people in the congregation down the road. Maybe in the big picture they do, but when Paul is talking about that, each part needs to do each member needs to do its part. It's it's sort of just a quirk of language that the word gets translated as member. And I've seen people proof text that in a way where they say, well, see, each member needs to do its part. So it's talking about church members. That's that's not the case. But the fact that each each member does need to do its part already establishes that these local congregations are integrated holes. I love your proof texting voice, by the way. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> so, proof texting voice. <laughs> so good. And clearly we're edgy. We're already just talking about hands laying around. Yes. And that was a weird analogy. On, slap on our bodies. No, I loved it because I think you're exactly right. I think that's really probably the shocking intent and in the outworkings of what Paul's talking about. I, I can think of like three, probably three kind of quintessential passages that speak to exactly what you said. So Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So there we have an example of member being used as a, as a household. Or, then we have Ephesians 3.6, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there we're referring to members as a sharer, a participant. And then lastly, getting really to the meat of what you were talking about, I think this is the second time I've used the word meat, which I normally do not do in that kind of context. <laughs> um, so Romans 12, 4, for as in one body, we have many members and members do not all have the same function. So there we're talking about members of body parts. So we have a household, share, participant, and a body part. So to me, it's exactly what you said. Membership connotes some kind of familial connectivity. And that's why we get even the name of this podcast, because Christians right. have always referred to each other as brother and sister, because... This is the sense that this is an actual family, not just natural, but supernatural in its origin and its bond. Membership also is about like active participation, just like families are, or being a part of a body is mutual giving and taking, doing life together. And then there's this, this third kind of component, which I think you were driving at as well, that 
there's this union with Christ and then subsequent union with one another. So the body of Christ is, of course, a metaphor for the church. But in a way, we're actually saying that when Christ left the earth, he didn't really leave, at least not in one sense, because he's left here this body, which is a body of members. So I I think there is like this strong, at least this should give us pause to say, well, how do we really, no, man, horrible puns tonight. How do we flesh this out? (laughs) (laughs) It's just happening. I can't even stop it at this point. That's hilarious. How do we we flesh this out uh, when it comes to like living out our faith in a local community? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we have to be a little bit careful because the the Roman Catholic Church actually – considers itself to be the ongoing durable incarnation of Christ. Right. Um, so we're not saying that. Obviously Definitely like not. Christ, you know, his body, his physical body left and when the Bible talks about us being Christ's body, um it I like I said I think it's stronger than a metaphor. There's something real being communicated um and not just in a symbolic way, but it's it we're not in like an ongoing incarnation. But in a very real way like we are the way that Christ is physically present in um, the world still. And I think, you know, the fact that we, we haven't talked about Christological heresies, but one of the, one of the major early heresies, um, regarding the incarnation is the idea of docetism. And the idea of docetism is that Christ wasn't really human. He didn't really have a body. He just seemed like he did, right? That comes from that Greek right. root, dokeo, which is to seem. And so a docetist thinks that Christ only seemed human. And I think we, this is a common critique that um, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox levy against Protestantism. And I think um, in this kind of bare form, it's it really doesn't land, but we can get sort of this docetic understanding of Christ's body as overly spiritual. And what I mean by that is that, yes, the church is a spiritual entity, but the same way that Christ is locally present because he is a physical human person um, or a person that's human, to be more precise, um, so also is the church, right? The church is an incarnate reality, right? We have a real physical presence. And in order to really have that be the case, we have to affirm local kind of pockets of Christians. Gathered Christians in local congregations are the way that the church is a physical, real uh, entity. That's the way we're really present in the world. Um, Where if we don't recognize that sort of reality of the church as a local gathered body, um, then really we are kind of a docetic, uh, of a docetic ecclesiology. We're like the church is just sort of this thing that seems to be real and physical, but it's not really. Right. Um, and that really leads us to to some some problems. And I think you know we we I bagged a little bit on um, Billy Graham last week and jo- and you know Charles Finney, but the idea of the you know the um, Billy Graham Crusades itself was kind of an example of this. The church isn't really a thing because we've got these parachurch ministries that sort of take the place of what the church is supposed to be doing. And in a lot of ways, they sort of create a parallel world for Christians to be Christians in that don't necessarily involve the local church. Um, You know, a lot of those traveling evangelistic groups, they try really hard to have follow up and get people who come to faith in these um, events connected with the local church, and most of them fail really miserably. Um, mm-hmm. And and the result of that is a lot of false conversions, people who make these decisions but have no way to sort of solidify or make real those decisions in the context of the gospel being preached in the local church and the word and sacrament, um, and it can really cause some problems. So this idea of church membership isn't just 
this out there thing that like, you know, we, we, we think is important. It really has concrete feet, concrete feet. It really has concrete <laughs> application um, to our lives and to the, the health of the church and the health of individual Christians too. So why don't, I mean, why don't we get into the, um, the more deductive kind of, I think more concrete, man, we get on these like loops on these words. No, What's going love, on tonight? I actually thought your argument was really great. I thought you meant concrete feet. Like these feet are set in concrete. It's so firm. I don't so know. So solid. Feet of clay, though, are bad in the Bible. Feet know, of clay is bad. I, I did go back to, yeah, the Nebuchadnezzar stuff. Like, but, um, yeah, I was, I, I just thought you were like saying that I want to set my feet firmly on the concrete. Let's, let's go with that. Let's, let's pretend that's what I was saying. <laughs> so, um, I'll reference, uh, I didn't read this article beforehand in like research, but this article kind of browsing through it a little bit here sums up a lot of the same kinds of things, um, the same kinds of um, arguments that we're going to make here in a minute. Um, so I'll put a mark um, a link to it. It's an article written by Matt Chandler, who we've referenced before. He's pastor in uh, Texas um, on the Nine Marks website, which is sort of a ironically a parachurch organization, which I just got done smashing on. Um, but it's it's a parachurch organization that does a lot of research in terms of ecclesiology, which is like a really weird paradox, I just realized. Um, but the article is really good, so I'll put a link in the show notes um, so you can read through that. But um, I'm drawing some of my thoughts from this as I've, I've come uh, to the article here. So, Jesse, what do you think the best way to go to Scripture is to make a good argument for uh, church membership? Beyond that sort of the analogical argument we talked about earlier what's the most like concrete solid ways we can look at the new testament and see the principle of church membership operating in the new testament itself man that is a really good question for which i feel like you actually have the answer in front of me and i need to make sure it comports to like whatever you're looking at (laughs) i feel like i'm i feel like i'm being tested right now it's good it's all good i would say i I, unfortunately i think i'm going to stand uh, on the concrete of what you've already poured out, which was, um, <laughs> we can't get away. We can't stop. Horrible. We need it's help. Like, it's an audio train wreck. It's just, <laughs> is there, wait, is there such thing as an audio train wreck? You can't stop listening to the crash. I'm hoping that this is an audio train wreck and our listeners can't stop listening to us. Yeah. Just there's, I'm sure there's more explosions to come. Um, that's not even right anyway. That is anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, I think I would get stuck in this idea that the the scripture, partic- well, all the way through is really clear about uh, what community means to God. And certainly a community, as we've already talked about in some expen- extent, is actually part of God's own character. So we see to begin with that there's something about being included and belonging, but in a way that requires commitment. And this would go all the way, like I'm drawing this, pulling this th- kind of thread all the way through. Uh, Genesis 1 all the way into, uh, you know, Acts and the responsibility of the disciples and the community together. Um, there was another really stellar point that was coming, but now I've, I've totally lost it. So uh, because I got stuck in the concrete thing, again. It's all I got stuck in concrete. So, <laughs> um, but, but I think that there is like a really strong argument that community is important to God, that he is doing his work through and in community. Uh, that we're saved to that community and that the scripture is really clear about creating or helping us to see that the life of God, the life of the Christian is best lived out in a community where, and that's where certain, only certain things can happen in your life in terms of like discipleship, for instance. 
So I just think that there's a really a big picture there. And while you summarize it really well, it's not like the 11th commandment is like you need to sign for membership at your church. Right. It's, it's that if you're not intimately involved in a way that expresses the actual commitment, then you are certainly missing out on something in the, the life of faith. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I was all over the place on that. It does. And I think, I think what, um, the reason that we kind of struggle to even sort of express this is because you're absolutely right. This principle of belonging or this principle of community membership is so pervasive in the scriptures that it's everywhere. You know, there's that old saying that like the goldfish doesn't know that the water's wet, right? So right. the goldfish in the bowl that's surrounded by water his entire life has no idea that he's surrounded by water. That's just the way it is. We don't we don't consciously think about the air that we're surrounded in all the time. Um, but the other thing that we struggle with is like when we try to explain church membership, we almost kind of naturally default back to sort of the ethereal thing, right? You can be a part of a community without being a formal member of that community, right? You don't ever sign your piece right. of paper saying I'm a part of this community. So the struggle is, and, and this is where people usually get stuck, is, well, I don't see church membership in the New Testament. So obviously, if we want to be like the New Testament church, then um, we you know, we, we shouldn't do church membership. Um, and there's a couple reasons why that, um, that argument doesn't work. So throughout the new Testament, we actually see that church membership, formal church membership is active all the way. Um, so one of the very first places that we see it in, um, post Pentecost is right after Pentecost, right? So in Acts 2, um, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter delivers his sermon. And towards the end, it says that the, there was um, there was more being saved and added to their number every day. Now, I know that seems kind of superficial, but the fact is that they had a number and they knew that right. that number was increasing. So exactly. somewhere along the line, there was a um, there was a recognition of a defined group of people that were considered part of the church. Now, whether in that that point, whether it was that was the whole church or that they were just talking about the church in Jerusalem. Um, I tend to think they were just talking about the church in Jerusalem because that same thread, uh, that phrase of they were added to their number every day happens a lot of different places. Um, and so I think they were talking about that specific group of people who gathered at the church in Jerusalem. So right there we have, we already see the beginnings of a formal defined group of people. Um, you know, and then it carries on and we see that they're nominating um, they're nominating deacons, essentially, to deal with specific problems within the church. And the problems had to do with how different members in the church were not having their needs taken care of. Right. Mm -hmm. There was the Hebrew widows and there was the Greek widows and the Greek widows were not getting their portion of the daily distribution. But then again, we see there was definable people who should have been getting part of the daily distribution. And there were people who are not. And we see in other parts of the New Testament that the, the, the resources of the church go first to care for the church. Um, the, the people of the church kind of get first dibs on the care of the church. So do good to all people, but especially to those who are members of the family of God. Um, so we have this in the very earliest part of the church. We're talking about within probably weeks, maybe months of the, the literal birth of what we know as the church. We have this defined group of people, not only by number, but also by, you know, by 
privileges and responsibilities that they have. There was people who were um, who were able to be nominated and elected as deacons within that context. So obviously we have kind of a pool of people to draw from. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense, actually. And that's that's way more coherent than what I was trying to string together, because I think that you're absolutely right. The more I consider that, the more I realize that even the verses that you just quoted, the ones I, I read earlier from Romans and Ephesians, in both cases, it's almost as if the like the apostles, they don't even need to make a direct claim to this because they're just like, well, you know, this is how it is. Right. It's it's already presumed. And so all the language, as you just read, like do good to all, especially the members of the household of God. That right there is just a wonderful encapsulation because it presumes that this knowledge is already in play, that it's already critical component of what God is doing in establishing his church right. through Jesus Christ. So it's almost as if it's, he's saying, argument not necessary because you know how important this is. It comports with all the Old Testament right. scriptures. It speaks to God's character as community in and of himself. It speaks of God choosing a people, of saving a people who brings somebody into faith and then them being part of a community which in which they can be discipled. So it's as if he's saying, come on, this is obvious. Like, we, I don't even need to go here. Right. So as we go through the rest of the New Testament, we start to see these little kinds of fingerprints that you have to look really carefully for. So here's one example is 1 Corinthians one uh, eleven says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So Chloe, we don't know for sure who Chloe was. We don't know for sure where she um, where she was in um, the world where the church she was a part of was, but Chloe's people are probably members of the church that Chloe, that met in Chloe's house. Now right. it's not accurate to say that Chloe was the leader of that church, but the fact that they're called Chloe's people means that there's a defined group of people that the people who are receiving the letter to the Corinthians would know who that is. You don't say Chloe's people if, if your audience has no idea who Chloe's peoples are. So there's already, you know, there's that one part there as a fingerprint. There's some other lists um, like at the end of Romans that would say um, that would indicate um, there's a long list of people who are at the church in Rome who are kind of expected to be um, members of that church. So we see these kind of like patches or we see these little hints at this principle of membership where there's these defined group of people and we've gone from there being numerically defined group of people that is being added to and, and we can measure that addition. And then we've got just a little bit later, we've got people who have certain rights and certain privileges and certain responsibilities. And then we get to Romans and we've got a list of names. So there's obviously a principle here that we know who's a part of a given congregation, how many people are part of it, and there's expectations and rights and privileges those people have. So even just those things right there, are enough, I think, to establish that membership almost exactly as we know it now. In, you know, where I'm a part of a church, there's a there's a list somewhere. Most of the time it lives on a hard drive, but there might be an actual physical piece of paper where everybody's names are written down. That's a reality. Um, we see that in the New Testament. So the people who want to say like, well, there's no church membership in the New Testament. Um, I can understand why they have drawn that conclusion because these things are subtle, but I just don't think that it bears out. I think it's really, you know, when you know what to look for and you're intentional to look for them, it's right there on the surface of the text. Exactly. That's really well said. So that being the case, it's this idea of being known and being known to a group. So I, I want to get kind of your perspective because I, I think this is somewhat where the rubber meets the road. What then is like the big difference between, let's say, somebody who just makes the argument, 
well, you know, why do I actually have to be a member, like go through a process, go through a class or be confirmed? I, I go to the church. I'm, I'm there. I participate. Maybe I even participate or serve in a couple of different ministries. What's the big deal? Like, why why is it important for that person to consider membership as opposed to just attending, even if they're a committed attendee? Yeah. And that gets to kind of the last cluster of passages that I think establish this membership principle. So the last kind of um, the last sort of category is sort of the church discipline principle. So we have in Matthew 18. Right. We won't go through the whole text, but um, the, the basic is if someone sins against you, go talk to them alone. If they don't listen, you take two or three along with you in order for um, the evidence to be established by those witnesses. Um, finally, if they still don't listen to you, you tell it to the church. So there's this idea that I have a person that I'm in conflict with that has sinned against me and I know who to bring it to. I know which elders to go to. Right. in order for them to be disciplined. Now, if you're not a member of a church, if you're not a member of a local church, or a lot of people who kind of like go to different churches every week because, you know, well, my friend's here, I like this preacher there or whatever, they kind of bounce around. I don't know which church to go to if there's a discipline issue. Now, obviously, I hope that I never have to do that with them. But, um, you know, if I have a friend of mine who goes to the OPC church down the road and he sins against me and we go through these steps, then I know his pastor. I know who his pastor is. I know who can hold him accountable. Um, and I know which church I can go to in order to bring that process about. Now, Jesus, Jesus couldn't have given us those directions if there was no membership principle in the New Testament. Um, they would be directions that would have no meaning if it wasn't for the fact that there are local congregations with established leadership who are specifically, uh, you know, people are accountable to. For sure. It'd be entirely void of any real meaning because right. the whole purpose of that passage is not just to provide an outlet to like kick people out. It's the idea that this is the way to bring about resolution, restoration, and peace in relationships. Right. And so we're seeing that the membership role plays a real part in that. Yeah. And the kind of the flip side of it, um, and I think for me, this passage was the one that this all sort of fell into place and sort of solidified is um, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning for that would be no advantage to you. So there's yeah, two amen. things. First of all, the people who he's writing to have leaders. Obey your leaders, not just obey the leaders of the church, obey your leaders. So I'm not accountable to the pastor at the church down the road any more than I would be accountable to any other Christian in the world. Um, the fact that he's a pastor doesn't put him in a particular place of authority over me because he's not my pastor. Um, you know, there's a certain respect for the office that I should have and a certain kind of deference. But as far as actual authority to exercise church discipline, there is none. I'm not a part of his church. I'm not a member of his church. So there's no authority there to, to discipline me from an ecclesiastical perspective. But the flip side of it is that those pastors are, um, they're responsible and will have to give an account. Now, imagine if God said to you, I, I want you to be accountable to the people in your church, but then there was no principle in place for you to know who those people were. Right. Exactly. It just doesn't it just doesn't work. So, you know, not only do we have, you know, sort of where we started with the broad principle of of membership in terms of um, holistic unity and integrated unity, that to be a part of a body is to actually be connected to that body in a formal 
way that's not easy to dissolve. That's the broad principle. And that runs throughout the whole, the whole Bible, very clearly throughout the whole Bible. And then we move to sort of the, um, the fingerprints of membership showing that it really is present in the New Testament. And then we can see in the didactic teaching portions of the New Testament that there really are these different principles that, that necessitate formal membership. So if you're going to just, you know, if you're one of those people that just wants to be a part of a church, but not really a member, or sometimes there's churches that don't do membership. Um, I don't see how you can possibly be obedient to the command to obey your leaders. If you don't have leaders, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, exactly. And if you're not making an actual commitment to submit to them in accountability and leadership, because one of the great things about becoming a member is, at least in my mind, and I think there's a good biblical feat to stand on here, is that it means you're taking your discipleship under Christ seriously. Right. That you're actually choosing to submit to Christ and those whom Christ has put in spiritual authority over you, which is generally the elders, that you're willingly placing yourself under like accountability to them and that that's going to lead to guarding yourself from sin and temptation in a, in a more profound way. So you're right. Like these structures have been put in place for our good and for God's glory. I think that maybe this is like a little bit of our culture and maybe it's a little bit of suspicion of larger institutional paradigms that we think that, again, this is more a man-made convention than it is God's good plan for us. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think there is a bit of that kind of American rugged individualism, um, that that does come into play that like we want to be our own thing we want to have the freedom to just come and go as we please right um, you know in the broader culture as a whole you see that you know i remember it you know when when blockbuster video was a big thing and you had to have a membership card and the idea that you had to like have a formal membership in order to rent to pay them to rent a movie um was kind of like a crazy thing um, and that kind of thing where like you had to establish membership in order to go in and just rent a movie, you don't really see that, not just because you don't see video rental places anymore, but like the places where you do rent DVDs, they're just boxes on the side of the road now. You just drive <laughs> up and you just, you don't even need to talk to a person. So our whole culture as a whole is moving away from this idea of membership um, and formal obligation to things. Um, and and I think that's a feature of the culture, but I do think um, – there's probably some some good historical research that could bear this out that the the way that um, the gospel was spread through the the um, through the second great awakening with Charles Finney and things like that um, because those were almost all things that happened outside of the church like I came to faith I was there with my with the church I was active in but I came to faith at an event that was not tethered to a church. So for me, like that experience was not the way it was. And that's just not how, how conversion happened for most people, for the majority of the church. Most people were raised in the church. They were baptized as infants throughout the history of the church. And at some point in their life, they came to the realization that this thing that they've been a part of was real and it was real for them. And so that, that was how they became converted. Um, the idea of not being a part of the church was just unthinkable for most people in Western culture for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it really is kind of a recent historical thing to even have the idea of membership be something that could be questioned. That's a good point. And I think what feeds into that as well is this idea that we should be able to not just be individual and selfish, but 
have this right to have a basically large church buffet before us where we can kind of flit in and out as we choose. Right. And my issue with that is, I mean, when you become a member of a church, it means that you're choosing not to treat the church like a consumer product. Right. You're not going to, you're taking away the right essentially or the easy out when things get tough or there are issues. Because I see this in, in churches all the time. And when you become a member, that means like conflict, disagreement, hardship. These now are all tools that God can use for growth and maturation right. and strengthening and edifying you and for the perfect purification of the church. As opposed to just saying, well, I didn't like the music this morning or I didn't really like the message or this person said something to me offhanded that I found just really offensive. And so I'm, I'm just out. Right. And I do think that. God is really deliberate. If the church is important to him, as we're saying it is, and if he knits it together and builds it in such a way, and I'm not just talking universally, like you were saying, but locally, like living out our faith in the local church, that means that God is being very deliberate in putting together people and places and gifts and talents and abilities that not only are edifying to that local body and to that community for the gospel message, for the kingdom that he's building, but are also there to make us holy. And so I feel like we do ourselves a great disservice when we just say, I'm just going to bounce around because I want to, I'm, right. I'm not going to be committed in my mind. And maybe this is too extreme. You let me know. But since we're on the cutting edge, since we're edgy now, that's our thing. <laughs> we're edgy. Um, the edgy brotherhood. We're, to- we're totally edgy podcast. Uh, I feel like this is the difference between cohabitating with somebody like your significant other and being married to them. Yeah. Like, to me, it's that distinct in what you're communicating and what you're saying is your responsibility and your level of love and appreciation and service. Like, is that going too far? No, I don't think it is. And I think, um, you know, there's probably some interesting parallels that they say one of the, one of the major predictors of divorce is whether or not a couple lived together before they were married. Um, and in the opposite way than, than the world thinks. So a couple that lives together before they're married is more likely to get divorced. And part of the reason for that, I think, is because um, there's a level of commitment that happens that's then severable. And um, I think you're I think you're right on. And, you know, I was thinking about the random hand on the side of the road sitting on my shoulder analogy I used earlier. And the more I think (laughs) about it, I think it's a really good analogy because a person who's floating from church to church is kind of as grotesque in the grand scheme of things as a severed hand that just is sitting on your shoulder. Um, And, and, you know, they can be sometimes, sometimes people who are, are like that. And I speak this as someone who kind of inadvertently was like this can be a real drain on the resources of the church. Um, you know, I, the church exists for Christians and that's not, that's not the way most places think most, a lot of churches in the, the world now think about it. Um, you know, we did premarital counseling at the church, um, that we were not even members of. So, um, that was resources that the pastor was using, his time to minister to people who were not formally under his under his care. Um, so I think we have to be intentional about it. And, you know, another thought um, that I had is um, I wouldn't necessarily go here for like a primary proof text, but the church on earth is sort of representative. It's, it's a shadow of what the church in heaven will be like eternally. Um, right. Not always good, but... Um, God's church in heaven has membership roles, right? We get to the, we get to 
Revelation and God opens the book of life and there's people whose names are in it. And that's the people who are allowed into heaven and who get the privileges and the benefits and the responsibilities of being God's people. They their names are in membership roles. So, um, you know, if we want to look at the heavenly church as our example, um, the heavenly church has membership roles. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I'm not sure how much clearer I can get them. But um, I think that that analogy of people who live together versus people who are married, I think, is really good. You know, it's kind of the difference between roommates and um, and spouses, right? Yeah. Roommates can yeah. can go their separate ways pretty much anytime they want. Um, and if my I don't like that my roommate doesn't do the dishes the way I want him to, then I'll just get a different room. And so many people treat the church that way is, um, you know, well, they don't do the music that I like, so I'm just going to get a different roommate and get a different church. Um, and that really is a problem. And membership, um, you know, membership really does, I think, at least when it's working the way it's supposed to, it helps to kind of mitigate against some of them. You're absolutely right. I think that's a really strong argument. There's this idea, at least for me, that, and I really like what you said about heaven, because there's this concept for me that. God is putting together the church because he knows best how to do that. Again, in a local context. And we ought to be like long suffering with one another and saying like, we're willing to go in it to the long haul in so much as God has us in this particular geographic area or in these circumstances. And we're willing to do it with people that just like our family, that God puts together for us in many ways for all intents and purposes. And that means that sometimes we don't get along as well as we'd like and that we seek forgiveness from one another, that we work hard beside one another, that we learn from one another because we're very different than one another, and that we recognize that it's going to be full of selfish people just like me. And so I need to rub shoulders with people who are trying to live in this like-mindedness with Christ. And that is, in fact, the best thing for me. So it is it is like, and I think we often think that when it comes to membership, it's all cost and no benefit. Right. That somehow it means, you know, well, I definitely got to make sure I give to the church now or I'm responsible to show up at meetings where particular things are going to be decided without thinking about what is it that God wants to do through that membership to bless me and to bless his kingdom. So I guess if we're really serious about the kingdom, we ought to be serious about membership to it. And it strikes me as odd that we do value membership, especially when we believe there are benefits. So like I work for an organization that's all based on membership and that's what we tell it, that it's, it's good to be a member. It's good to belong. It's good to be part of not just a community, but something that in a way, quite honestly, is transcendent. Right. And isn't that like the same thing as Costco like we, or, or um, BJ's? Like right. we talk about the benefits of being part of this community that confers special rights and privileges. And it just strikes me as odd that many times we get stuck in this, well, you know, the membership sounds so stiff and that sounds like something that uh, shouldn't be happening in church, sounds too legalistic. But the bottom line is, uh, if you want to be fully committed to the vehicle that God is using to change the world, that is the church. I mean, the church is the hope of the world through Christ. So becoming a member there. And to me is entering into the deepest possible commitment to the most important enterprise that's been created. Yeah, absolutely. So um, do you have any closing thoughts before we do our weekly terrible audible recommendation? (laughs) It's probably best to prepare people that that's coming. Yes. It's on the way. So I would say in terms of kind of wrapping this up and thinking about thinking ahead is if this is the kind of thing that, you, you know, you're listening to and you're thinking this is a good forum for more conversation. Like I'd like to process this more, metabolize it. I really encourage everybody, if you are not a member of your church to go speak to your elders yes. and ask them what membership means there and how you can explore that and be a part of it. 
I think that it, it's appropriate for everybody to at least have that conversation, uh, start to understand it. And I would say if for some reason, like a pastor is happening to listen to this podcast, I would say one of the great things pastors can do is to regularly from the pulpit, remind their congregation of the importance of membership. Because I think sometimes churches struggle with giving or service. It's not because like they don't love the Lord and that they're not re- stepping out in faith. But I think it's oftentimes because haven't appropriately kind of drawn this line between church membership and giving and service and how it is a family and how that confers both benefits and responsibilities. So yeah. on both sides, I would say if you're part of any church you've been tending for a while, you should just just jump in, be committed, say, I'm, I'm not just going to cohabitate. I want to get married. I want to get involved. And I want to show that in a demonstrative way. And if you're a pastor, I'd say keep just from the pulpit preaching the gospel and reminding all of your people that when God saves, he ordinarily, naturally, necessarily draws us into community with other Christ followers. And that's manifested in our context by church membership. How about you? Well, I will, um, I'll make our quick recommendation. So we have a free trial available on audible.com. You can go to audibletrial.com slash brotherhood. And um, this week we'll recommend um, a book called Church Membership, How the World Knows Who Represents Jesus. And that's published, uh, it's written by Jonathan Lehman and it's published by Nine Marks. Um, so again, you can get that at refor- uh, audibletrial.com slash brotherhood. <laughs> Um, and, and I, you know, I haven't, I haven't read the book, but nine marks does publish some really good stuff. Um, even though they are a parachurch organization, which, uh, I'm just realizing the irony of, um, but they, they do publish some good stuff. And I think all of the people who write for them are actually pastors at local churches. So even though the organization is a parachurch organization, um, it's really a pastor's heart that's coming through with a lot of that stuff. Um, and I, I just, I'll just echo your recommendation, um, you know, membership is so important and it's not just about the responsibilities. There are a lot of responsibilities that come with being a member of a church. There are also a lot of privileges and um, benefits that come as well, not just like spiritual benefits. Um, you know, when you get sick and you want the pastor to come visit you at the hospital, that's a benefit of church membership. Um, you know, a pastor is not responsible to visit every sick person in the city. Or in the state, right? Exactly. Um, they're gonna. They are rightfully supposed to dedicate their time to caring for the people under their care. So um, I would absolutely say that everything you said is is right on. That you know, go talk to your pastor, um, have a serious conversation with your spouse about membership, about why you are or aren't members, um, and really just think about the fact that Christ does call us to be a part of a real concrete body, not just this ethereal thing that's out there, but an actual concrete local congregation where we sit under a pastor, we receive the word of Christ, we receive the sacraments, um, and we receive God's blessing week in and week out in that kind of daily rhythm or that weekly rhythm of participation in that body. Right on. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's why this is the brotherhood. This is the brotherhood. All right. Well, that should do it for this week. Um, But go ahead and head over to iTunes. Check us out. Rate us five stars. Leave us a little message. Five stars. uh, Five stars. And we will see you next week. My headset is dying. I'm I'm going to lose you in a second here. Hold on.